I'm travel journalist Bill Cleveland, and this is the Ultimate American Music Bucket List. I was scared to death when I first sat in his chair at K-Earth, and I'm going, hey, these people in Los Angeles love the real Don Steele. I don't know how I'm going to even stay in this chair. Yeah. And uh, I got calls, and they go, you know, we miss the real Don Steele, but, you know, we like you. For most singers, songwriters, musicians, bands, or groups, their careers wouldn't be possible without the support from those in radio. And while technology has certainly changed, and radio's influence has diminished since the pre-internet generation, everyone mentioned in the Ultimate American Music Bucket List owes radio and DJs like Shotgun Tom Kelly for sharing their music with the masses. In this episode, we talk about the radio business and some of the iconic voices that famously played the hits, right now on the Ultimate American Music Bucket List. And now, from the entertainment capital of the world, Shotgun Tom Kelly. K-R-G-H, Los Angeles. It's 7 o'clock on K-Earth 101, where we've given away over $90,000 in cash. Whoa, the phrase that pays. And we're going to explore the 70s. Shotgun Tom Kelly has been a successful radio broadcaster for more than six decades. For 20 years, he was the afternoon DJ on the legendary K-Earth 101 FM in Los Angeles a remarkable stint in radio that earned him a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But his impressive career includes a children's TV show, a love of model trains, a friendship with Stevie Wonder, and first-hand stories about some of radio's most historic personalities. And while you only get to hear him for a couple of minutes at a time on his nightly 60s gold radio show on Sirius XM, He spent nearly an hour with me sharing great stories about his own career and some of the brilliant broadcasters he had the pleasure of meeting and working with during his time on the radio. This is Shotgun Tom Kelly on the Ultimate American Music Bucket List. I read somewhere, I don't know where I read it, but that that as a 13-year-old kid, and I can kind of relate to this because I wanted to be in radio really young, too, and I Mm -hmm. I used to pop into radio studios and watch DJs do their thing, Um, but I'd read somewhere that you were asked to give your opinion of a song that a station was considering adding to their playlist. You know know the the story I'm talking about? Oh, I know exactly the story. Tell tell me a little bit about this. All right, well, listen, first of all, uh, it. Uh, let me let me go to where I saw my first disc jockey. Yeah, his name was Frank Thompson. He was on KOGO, and I remember I was ten years old and I came home from school. My mother was a big radio fan, so she listened to Kogo, and she heard this guy Frank Thompson broadcasting in a trailer uh, in our in our uh, shopping center near our neighborhood, and he's putting people on the air. So my mother said, "Tommy, you ought to go down, and he's putting people on the air." Frank Thompson. And maybe uh, he'll put you on the air. So I, you know, I had no idea at that time that I was going to be interested in or fascinated with radio. But I went down there, and I saw Frank inside the uh, the trailer. He had two turntables, microphone, and I could see he's on the air because you could hear the speakers outside the uh, the trailer. And I could look through the window and see mm-hmm. 
Frank in there broadcasting. And he, he was interviewing people on the air. And so I just hung around for a while. And all of a sudden, he looked out the window. And he says, ah, this is Frank Thompson on KOGO. We have a young man uh, looking into the KOGO mobile studio. Why don't you come on in here, young man? What's your name? Oh, my name is Tom. Uh, what school <laughs> do you go to, Tom? I go to St. John of the Cross Catholic School. Oh, great. Well, listen, uh, I've got to four tickets to see the L.A.T. birds when they come to town. Congratulations to you, Tom. And so I sat there and I, I was mesmerized. I watched him <laughs> and uh, pew up the records and, and I'm going, wow. I went home. My mom heard me on the radio. Oh, I heard you, Tommy. And uh, <laughs> I immediately uh, put together, um, you know, a couple of record players that I had. And uh, I built my own little radio station in my bedroom at 10 years old. Now, the story you were talking about as a 13-year-old, uh, I used to hang uh, at that at that point. I'm hanging around radio stations, right? And so I went over to like uh, Radio KDO, K D E O, and uh, there was a uh, gentleman uh, program director. His name was Jim Price, and uh, so I'm a 13 year old kid, and he goes, uh, "Hey, uh, step into my office." And I know he's the big boss; he's the program director. So I, uh, this 13 year old kid steps into his office. He goes. You know, I need a teenager's opinion on a record that I'm going to add. Uh, and, if, and if I add this record and it's a hit, I'll be the first program director in the United States to add this song. Because KHJ in Los Angeles used to add all the songs first. But uh, they didn't seem like they were too excited about this group. Uh, uh, they, they were more of a folk group and uh, not necessarily a rock group in, in their estimation. So uh, Jim Price, Sonny Jim Price, uh, really liked him, and he wanted a teenager's opinion. So he put the record on, and he had me listen to it. And, of course, I want to please the program director. But I really did like the song. I said, oh, that's great. That is a great record. He said, okay, because you said it was, and you're a teenager, I'm going to put it on my radio station, and uh, we'll see if it takes off. You know what the song was? I, I do know the song, but... Yeah, tell everybody. Yeah, Mamas and the Papas in California Dreaming. Wow. Can what a thing to have on your resume as a 13-year-old. <laughs> I know. And can you believe KHJ did not want to go on that because they thought, uh, well, you know, you got a fat lady and you've got uh, a guy with a fur hat. And, uh, and uh, I don't know. That's not really a rock group, you know. Yeah. Boy, were they wrong, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for people listening, you know, they may not know and this maybe they should know. But, you know, there was a time when there wasn't computers or CDs and you all would actually play uh, records and get to put on a, a show of your own. And, and I'm curious, what, what do you miss about those days of, of radio? The simplicity of radio. It was very simple in those days. Uh, at a radio station, you had uh, two or three turntables. Uh, KDEO, they had three, and they had a, a control board, and uh, the uh, they had no computers. Obviously, you you talked about that, Bill, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they had no way. the The way they looked up information was uh, with a book by Joel Whitburn back in the day. Even back in the day, Joel Whitburn had that uh, book of all the songs. Yeah, uh, and uh, so they used that because uh, uh, they couldn't go online. Uh, so. Uh, and when I was in the radio station, uh, standing behind some of my favorite jocks like Ray Willis, 
Uh, of course, Sonny Jim Price. Uh, uh, there's a guy by the name of Lee Shoblum who uh, eventually bought a radio station in Lake, Lake Havasu. And all these guys used to let me watch them when they were on the air. And there was a guy, a weekend guy. His name was uh, George Manning. This was 1966. He was doing weekends at Radio Cadio. And then he was full-time at a radio station called KPRI, Capri. And so he needed somebody to uh, do a Sunday morning show. So now it, now I'm 16 at the time. And uh, he said, uh, George Manning said, he said, how would you like to come and work Sunday morning? Because at that time, nobody wanted to work Sunday morning. And uh, I, I, I just you know, went for it. Now, this is a radio station that played Frank Sinatra, Sergio Mendez. I, that's why I know it's 1966. Sergio Mendez and the Brazil 66 was a very popular group. And so I started out Sunday mornings on KPRI 106.5 FM. Now, the FM, uh, FM stations back in those days were not big. The AM stations were the big ones, uh, like KDEO AM. KCBQ AM, KGB AM. That was where the big money was. But the FM stations was, you know, more like background music and stuff like that. But KPRI was a combination of jazz and middle of the road. And that's where I learned a lot about jazz and a lot about uh, middle of the road music like Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, uh, Johnny Mathis, who later on became a friend of mine uh, through Frank Thompson. Um, so anyway, I was there doing that show, and that show uh, was six hours in the morning. You, I, I came on at six in the morning. I was able to do uh, from six to seven, and then uh, at eight o'clock we had the Catholic Mass. No, no, I'm sorry, I take that back. Catholic Mass was at ten o'clock. Hmm. Uh, at eight o'clock, there was an opportunity for me to do a children's radio show, playing children's records, Disney records, and stuff like that. So I became Uncle Tommy yeah. on KPRI. So I was Uncle Tommy every Sunday morning. Uh, we even had a sponsor, Georgia's Wonderful World of Cakes down in Chula Vista, <laughs> which is a suburb. And so every, every show I would give away a birthday cake. But that was my very first radio show as a children's host because not only did I want to be a disc jockey, but I wanted to be a children's show host like my hero, Johnny Downs. Now, Johnny Downs uh, was uh, played like he was a railroad engineer. Yeah. And my, da my dad, being a railroad engineer on the Santa Fe for many years, I remember he came home one day and he said, well, this uh, actor, Channel 10, came in and they filmed this actor on my, tr on my engine. I had to get on my knees and pull it into the depot because he had to be out of uh, shot of the camera because they wanted to get Johnny Downs as the engineer. So Johnny Downs uh, got off the uh, F7, which is the uh, red war bonnet. Uh, you've seen that. So sure. he got off the engine on the film. This is the film. Got off the engine and walked into the depot, and then they cut to him walking on the set, and he go, howdy, 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 good to see you, good to see you, everybody. This is Johnny Downs. And we got a lot of great cartoons. So I used to watch him. He was a hero of mine. And I always wanted to be like Johnny Downs one day. Hmm. And uh, 
But uh, the radio show on KPRI was the first time I did a uh, kid show. And then uh, later on in life, I actually uh, got to work at the same television station that Johnny Downs worked at uh, doing a uh, children's game show that was nationally syndicated called Words of Poppin'. And I got two Emmy Awards for that show. And that show ran for five seasons. Wow. It's funny. I've been in radio now for a little over 20 years. So my, my career is not, not quite as long as yours. But there is one thing that I learned is or have learned, I believe, is that a lot of TV people want to be radio people. And a lot of radio people want to be TV people. And rarely does it work out. But you proved an exception to that rule, I think. Yeah, I did. Me and Wink Martindale. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in 1997, I believe that was the year, you took over the afternoon show on K-Earth 101. And people should know that are listening. So, and this is not, not to make you feel like an older guy, uh, Shotgun Tom, but I was in high school in 1997. And uh, you should know that it's a thrill to get to talk to you and have you on here because I listened to you when I was in high school. And I loved K-Earth 101. I'm a child of the 80s, but I loved the oldies music. And I loved listening to K-Earth 101. And so um, now y- you took over for The Real Don Steele. And, yes, and we'll, we'll play a clip of, of The Real Don Steele so people can, can hear him a- as oh, well. What do we know and believe? Tina Delgado is alive! Alive! The Real Don Steele. Right, baby. K-Earth 101. Good, good afternoon. How do you do? One terrific Wednesday in progress. Got a brand new Mustang convertible. Want to give it away? You know, I think just one of the most intriguing people I've ever heard on the radio. What, what was he like? Did you know him before you came to Los you know, Angeles? No, I, uh, Bill, I didn't. Bill, I met him three times mm-hmm. in my career. Of course, before that, like you, I was a big fan yeah. of the real Don Steele when he was on KHJ uh, in the old days. And then, of course, he eventually was on K-Earth 101. Now, the real Don Steele's voice, as you know, Bill, is used in that uh, uh, movie with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's called the, uh, it's, I believe it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, so that's the, when Brad Pitt gets in his car, um, evidently uh, they, they got permission to use the real audio of the real Don Steele. He turns the key and you hear 93KHJ, I'm the real Don Steele. He goes into his thing. And uh, so uh, it, it, I was thrilled to see that. But when I was a kid, I always used to listen to the real Don Steele on KHJ. And I used to watch his television dance show on yeah. Saturdays on uh, KHJ TV. Did you know he had a dance show? I, you know what? Not until last night doing some research for this. I saw some clips on YouTube so you people can actually find it. Oh, yeah. 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 It, and it was great. Uh, and uh, so being that uh, I was a real Don Steele fan and also a Wolfman Jack fan, I mean, these these two guys were my heroes. They really were. And uh, so I guess early on, I emulated them. I I was trying to be like them. And so I guess my, I uh, I was similar to the real Don Steele when he passed away and the, uh, you know, they, they had the memorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Mike Phillips, who's he, he's the guy that hired me. Yeah. He was doing a nationwide search. Uh, in fact, he said a prayer at his desk. He told me this. 
he said a prayer. He said, God, help me find the right guy to succeed the real Don Steele. And right there, the answer to his prayer, it was a whisper he told me in his mind. Wow. Call Shotgun Tom. <laughs> Is that great? That's wild. So anyway, he called me and... Uh, you know, being that I've, I'm so connected with San Diego with the kids' shows, now not only did I do Words of Poppin' for five seasons, but then I went across the street was the uh, booth announcer for KUSI-TV, and the owner said, hey, you did that kid show over at Channel 10, didn't you? And I said, yeah. Well, I'm not going to spend that kind of money, but uh, I got a cartoon package. And how about uh, you being the host of the KUSI Kids Club? And I said, I'll do that. And I was a host for that morning and afternoon kids show on KUSI TV for 12 years. I still get grown adults coming up to me and they go, Shotgun, when I used to come home from school and watch the cartoons, I used to watch you on the KUSI Kids Club. Oh, it was so great. And uh, But back to the real Don Steele, uh, I was scared to death when I first sat in his chair at K-Earth and I'm going, hey, these people in Los Angeles love the real Don Steele. I don't know how I'm going to even stay in this chair. Yeah. And uh, I got calls, and they go, you know, we miss the real Don Steele, but, you know, we like you. Hmm. And I thought maybe I would have a, you know, a couple-of-year run, and I was satisfied with that, making that. They made tremendous I'm big money at that station. Yeah. And more than I've ever made in my career. And so uh, I thought I was only going to last a couple of years, and then I moved back to San Diego. But little to my uh, surprise, I was there for 20 years. Uh, maybe I'm geeking out a little bit on the radio thing. Other people may not find this as interesting as I do, but Los Angeles, uh, compared to most other cities, I guess New York City being the exception here, um, you know, the radio has a limited reach. You have cities like I'm in St. Louis, for example. You know, maybe maybe you can reach 300,000 people when you talk on the air, on the you know micro. But when you hit that microphone button in Los Angeles on a station like K Earth 101, what what is that like? Knowing that literally millions of people can hear you as soon as you start talking, it's frightening. It really is. Uh, I got used to it uh, after I got more comfortable. Yeah. But and and you got to realize, Bill, in your headphones, that station was tuned up. I mean, yeah. it had the most incredible audio chain I've ever experienced at any radio station. As a matter of fact, the uh, uh, engineers said, well, it's a secret formula that we use in the rack hmm. to uh, to make the radio station, you know, the microphone loud and compression and. And it was just, I mean, you spoke into that microphone and it turned a whisper into a roar. <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing. And you could hear it on the air. Now, yeah. the uh, transmitter is on top of Mount uh, Wilson. Okay. And Mount Wilson, uh, to uh, to get out on Mount Wilson, like, let's, let's look at radio stations. KISS FM has 30,000 watts and they're on right. Mount Wilson. But being that KHJ-FM, which is what K-Earth was, because remember that KHJ-AM and FM and TV right? back back in the day. So uh, they were experimenting. Well, first of all, the, t the radio went on first, KHJ, three call letters. You know, that was put on in the 20s. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, then uh, FM, then TV came around, and they just they experimented with TV, and of course that became KHJ TV, very popular. And then the uh, the owner of the station uh, decided uh, that he wanted to experiment with this new thing called FM. <laughs> so he asked the FCC if he could, because uh, uh, FM needed a lot of power to be successful to really get out. And uh, he had uh, he had his transmitter on Mount Lee. Now this is Don Lee who owned. KHJ, AM, and FM, and TV. So Don Lee already had uh, a place on Mount Lee. He owned Mount Lee. Now, do you do you know uh, Mount Lee's very famous? I actually don't know Mount Lee. I'm embarrassed. Well, wait till I tell you. Okay. Everybody, let me tell you this. <laughs> Bill, everybody in the world has seen Mount Lee. Wait a minute. This isn't where the Bat Cave is, is it? No. No, that's bigger. Some, that's bigger. Oh, bigger. bigger. Okay. Bigger. Bigger. I don't know. Mount Lee in Los Angeles, right there in the middle of the Los Angeles basin, is a very celebrated mountain to this day. Oh, it, my. Star- it started out as a, uh, they had, they built homes on there for a while because Don Lee was uh, an entrepreneur, you know, he was a real estate guy and he dabbled in broadcasting. But uh, uh, Mount Lee is so famous all over the world. And uh, have you given up already? The Hollywood sign? That's right. Very good. You okay. got it. <laughs> it's the Hollywood sign. That's Mount Lee. So here's what uh, he wanted to move his, his experiment. Remember I told you his experiment uh, with this thing, FM, because he already had yeah. AM and F. He had the, his AM transmitter was down uh, on Fairfax uh, near... Uh, Venice, Venice and Fairfax. Uh, so that's KSJAM. And the TV, he wanted to move up to Mount Wilson because all the other television stations were moving up there. So he moved his television station, KHJ TV, and then he gave a Mount Lee to the city of Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, he wanted to experiment with his FM. I'm getting back to FM, KHJ FM. <laughs> so remember I said, a kiss 30,000 watts and they cover the entire basin. Right. Well, back in the early days, since, since uh, KHJ FM was one of the first FM stations to go up on Mount Wilson, the FCC said, well, we know you need some power. So just run as much power as you want. Wow. So he selected 51,000 watts. And wow. that's, and that's why when you said you turn the microphone on, it gets yeah. 51,000 watts. Not only covers the basin, but all of Southern California. That is crazy. Yeah. That is and really cool. And, and it's the, if you were going to put a, a FM station on today, they would never give you that many watts. Right. right. I mean, this is grandfathered in now. So they can't take it away. So that's why K-Earth is, is uh, one of the most popular, I mean, one of the most powerful stations on that mountain yeah that's crazy so all right so i i wanted to do this particular episode of the podcast again the, the book is called the ultimate american music bucket list so we're doing podcast episodes about all sorts of things that are you know featured in the book and but i, I really wanted to 
do at least one episode where we talked about radio and, and the impact of radio and radio DJ, especially back in the you know the 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, um, you know, and the influence they had on on music, and, and you know, and I, I really wanted to choose just one personality and i thought you know there are so many that i could have picked but wolfman jack was one that i was just you know i, I gravitated toward toward his career and i i know that you all were, were friends and and you you looked up to him as well and um first of all can you just explain to people how important he was in in broadcast history and how popular he was well first of all he's a pioneer yeah uh, when I was, uh, you know, getting interested in radio at 10 years old, 12 years old, 13, I would DX, you know, uh, which means tune in far away stations. Mm -hmm. And that's what we would do. Uh, I would tune in WLS from Chicago. I would tune in KOMA from uh, Oklahoma City. And it was really interesting. And then I tuned in this Mexican radio station <laughs> from Del Rio, Texas broadcasting over the border uh, over the border with 150,000 watts that came in like a local in San Diego and it was I got to tell you during the daytime it was a religious station okay you know they had Reverend Ike on there and and uh, talking about his plastic Jesus and and uh, send in for your prayer cloth and uh, so all the daytime shows were religious uh, paid for shows but at night, this weird voice came on, and it was a rock and roll show, and it was Wolfman Jack. And I'm going, oh, my God, this guy, I've never heard anything like this. Have mercy, baby. <laughs> on X-E-R-F, Acuna, Aquavila, Mexico, baby. I want you to send your money into the Wolfman Jack record label, the bread record label. Wolfman Jack's got an album where he sings a lot of great songs. And if you want his album, send cash, check, or money order to Wolfman Jack record <laughs> album. Send $3 cash, check, or money order. Want to make sure it's fresh on your mind. Send it in to me right now, and I'll send you the Wolfman Jack record album on the bread record label, you know. So <laughs> I immediately got my three. Uh, I'm, I was mowing lawns, and I collected $3, and I sent it in for the Wolfman Jack album, and I still have it to this day. Oh, my God. As a matter God. of fact, I've got it framed. I've got a room in my home. Uh, my agent calls the I Love Me room because it's got pictures of me with celebrities <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, and pictures of me, there's one one picture is my pride and joy. is when I gave my uh, ranger hat to President Ronald Reagan in the Oval Office. Oh, nice. That, that's in there. And, of course, the Hollywood Walk of Fame ceremony on one wall, but I've got Wolfman Jack and his the bread record label. I've got it. I'm bread record album. I've got it framed with a picture of us. And, uh, I just loved that album. Well, you got to realize now, Bill. Yeah. I, yes, I knew Wolfman Jack, but I didn't know him back when I was a kid. Sure. I was a fan <laughs> like you were. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I started out as a fan. And then as I got into radio, uh, I remember K-A-C-Y, Wolfman Jack was uh, doing a rock and roll show. And Don Davis, one of the sales guys, said, hey, 
uh, Wolfman Jack's coming to the Carousel Nightclub, and I can have him call in on your show. Well, back in those days uh, at KACY, I was Bobby Shotgun McAllister. You know, I hated that name. But anyway, uh, (laughs) so anyway, uh, Wolf calls in on the show. This is the first time that I get to talk with him. And he goes, hey, Macy, Bobby, how you doing, man? I want people to come down here. We got all the splibs and everybody in the audience. And come on down with your petunia. And come on down here. We'll have a great show, man. And he, I, and he, I said, well, I'm, I'm on the air right now, Wolf. And he said, well, come down after you get off. And that's when I went down there and I met Wolfman Jack for the first time. And uh-huh. I remember we played pool together. Um, and then later on in life, uh, as I uh, went to bigger stations, uh, KCBQ, I had all these old air checks of, of Wolfman. And uh, I, I, I couldn't believe if he remembered who I was. I remember I called him up at his Hollywood studio at the corner of Hollywood and Vine. That's where he did his syndicated show. And I said, uh, Wolf, I got some uh, old recordings of you on X-E-I-F-N. X-E-R-B, which was featured in the American Graffiti movie. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, that's another guy who was a fan uh, of him, uh, George Lucas, because George used to pick him up. George was from the uh, central San Joaquin Valley in Modesto. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when he was looking for somebody to play a disc jockey in his movie, American Graffiti, he said, there's only one, and that's Wolfman Channel. Oh, that makes and sense. that's how he got the job. I remember... Uh, And then we, uh, as I said, we became friends later on. He knew everything about my career. And uh, I remember uh, he would come to San Diego and he would be on uh, these talk shows. And I knew some of the producers. And I said, I brought my album in, you know, with him singing all those songs that I bought for $3. (laughs) And so I said, hey, put this on and use it for bumper music for the 10-second delay. And... uh, you know, he'd be on the Roger Hedgecock show, or the Stacy Taylor show, and uh, Stacy would go. Well, we have a very special guest. We have Wolfman Jack in the studio. Stacy would play this music of Wolfman Jack singing, and uh, after the music went out and he was introduced by the host, Stacy Taylor, he said, "Oh my goodness." Don't ever play that, man. That's awful. Don't you ever play that again. Oh, my God. Where did you get that? Oh, I know where you got that. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> so I played. And then he got. Then he came out. I was at KCBQ at the time. Then he came out to do a show with me. And the first thing uh, Wolf said, oh, man, that wasn't funny, man. What are you doing to me, man? Don't, that That's terrible, man. Because that's when he was first starting out. Yeah. He, he recorded that album in, in Shreveport, Louisiana, and he didn't like it. You know, we don't, us radio guys, we don't like to hear when we first started out. Oh, my God, yeah, no. We're, we're terrible. <laughs> we're yes. awful. Well, he thought he was awful, but it was the first, it, it was just great. Now, you got to realize uh, he was the general manager. He became general manager of uh, XCRF over Del Rio, Texas, broadcasting from the transmitter was in Acuna, Aquila, Mexico, 150,000 watts. Wow. And uh, that, that, that was all over the western part of the United States. That's why George Lucas heard it. That's why I heard it in San Diego. And uh, it was just, a, the, the guy was amazing. Who is this I 
how you do it, Diane? All right. That's the wolf man. Do you love me? He's on tape. <laughs> the man is on tape. Well, uh, where, where is he now? I mean, uh, where does he work? The wolf man is everywhere. But I remember we used to play those tricks. I used to play those tricks on his. Oh, man, that's terrible, man. And there's a video of me and Wolf uh, when he came to town. Uh, this is, uh, of course, the TV station came over, and I supplied them uh, with a videotape. And, of course, then I uh, went on the set and talked about his passing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was uh, it was sad, you know. But uh, uh, what can I tell you? Uh, Wolf was a dear friend of mine. Every time he came to town, he'd oh, he'd always not only do the talk shows, but he'd come over and, and do a show with me on KCBQ. Wow. And, and his brilliance to be on the air in Mexico where he could crank up the, you know, the, the, the power of the, the station where I guess you couldn't do that in the United States. Well, the United States, uh, 50,000 watts was the limit. You right. Know, I, be I believe there was a station... An experimental station in in the 30s uh, that w tried to go for the big power, yeah. uh, but when you go for big power, you have you have to have air cooled tubes and all that stuff, mm -hmm. and so it's it's uh, um, not cost effective, I guess. But uh, down in Mexico, man, they got no rules down there, so you <laughs> know, right. uh, no rules. <laughs> yeah, 150,000 watts. It, that that was nothing, man. Wow, that is crazy. Uh, all right, so just last question, and I'll let you go. And again, I, I really appreciate your time. This is great. Oh, fun. I'm I'm glad to do it. It's uh, great fun. I love talking stories. about Wolf. I love talking about the real Don Steele. Love talking about TV and radio. So no problem. Yeah. So you, your current gig, you're on the '60s channel on on XM, playing the '60s music. Um, I asked a colleague of yours, Flash Phelps, this the other day, and I, I want to hear your answer as well. So as radio has changed, and you know, obviously, you know, the internet we have now, and streaming music, and all this stuff, and uh, and the importance of a, a radio DJ maybe is not as important today as it was, you know, back in the year, you know, the, the 60s, 70s, whatever. However, with with the 60s channel, um, do you do you feel like because you have this audience that this big audience that gravitate, they they love the 60s music that you get to help keep some of these 60s artists, you know, alive and out there and, and helping them to promote their stuff. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool to you know be able to have that kind of power at your fingertips. Oh, talking about power, uh, you got to realize Flash Phelps and I and Pat St. John, all of us who are on the 60s channel, which, by the way, they changed to channel 73. Used, we used to be on right, right. 60s on 6. Now we're on channel 73. And this is amazing. I was watching an interview with Steven Spielberg. And uh, he was asked, well, what radio uh, do you listen to radio? I said, oh, I always listen to the Sinatra channel. And I love uh, the 60s music. They used to be on the 60s on 6. Now they're on Channel 73. I mean, he was all <laughs> up on where we were. Yeah. And so Steven Spielberg listens to Flash Phelps and myself and all the guys uh, right here, uh, Pat St. John and everybody. It's uh, We got a great family. And here's the deal, Bill. Uh, you needed, uh, you know, like in the Wolfman Jack era, you needed like 150,000 watts to cover the western part, western part of the United States. Well, now with satellite, we cover the entire United States yeah. and Canada. And if you have the Sirius XM app, you could be out of the country 
listening to uh, to uh, Channel 73, 60s Gold, on your app in Hawaii, uh, in Mexico. I mean, it really uh, has expanded our reach. And sure. let me tell you something. Uh, a lot of people say disc jockeys are not essential. The people that listen to Channel 73, I, I don't have a phone. I invite people to write me a, a, an email. And that is a lot of lot lot to ask, uh, to ask somebody uh, to go and write an email. And I have a stack of emails right here that I'm going through right now, uh, reading their stories, reading the song they want to hear. Uh, it's just amazing. I never was able to do that in terrestrial radio. You know, people would call on the request line for a request. Yeah, I'll try to get it on for you. Yeah. But when I get an email and somebody wants to hear Stevie Wonder, uh, I can actually email them back, and it and, and it takes a little more time. I email them back, and I tell them the date, the song that I'm going to play before I read their email, and the approximate time when it's going to be coming on so they can uh, inform their family and friends. Oh. And that has really built an audience for me. Um, and I don't know about the other guys, but I know I personally uh, do that after I... We all track our... Well, Pat St. John's live. And uh, we all, the rest of us, I'm giving out a secret. We track our shows, uh, but that's okay. You know, uh, yeah. that's why I'm able to talk to you right now. Cause yeah. usually I'm doing my show for, for this Wednesday, but I knew I was going to do this interview with you. So I thought, well, I better get it tracked. You're and not going to so, blame me if tonight's show is subpar, are you? No, no. Tonight's show is great, <laughs> by the way. Uh, Just kidding. <laughs> I, as a matter of fact, on tonight's show, uh, you're going to be hearing it if you tune in. Yeah. Uh, I played Wild Thing uh, a couple of nights ago, and I just merely said, I said, you know, if I remember back in 1962, uh, there was a parody of Wild Thing. Some guy was acting like Bobby Kennedy, mm. and I can't remember who the guy was. So if you anybody out there knows who that guy is, who the comedian was that did that, uh, get back to me. Mm. Listen, Bill, I got a stack so many emails, I couldn't read them all. I, I read read about five of them on the air tonight. But I'm wow. going to play Wild Thing uh, with the Trogs gonna re and going to read these emails. Uh, and and uh, the guy's name was Bill Milken, who was, the who was the comedian who imitated Bobby Kennedy. And then I play the uh, Bobby Kennedy, uh, Bill Milken uh, record, you know. Uh, uh, have, do, you, do you remember that record by any chance? I, no, I don't remember it. I, I thought when you, you were going on this story, I thought you were going to talk about the uh, Charlie Sheen movie where he was wild thing as the pitcher. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. This is way before Charlie Sheen. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's just one of those things, you know, that sticks in my memory as a kid growing up listening to, uh, uh, you know, uh, music. You know, 62 is a great year. Uh, one of my favorite songs, another one of these novelty songs, and ag again, it was done by a comedian by the name of Jack Ross. He was telling the story about Cinderella, who lived in a big harked house, that's a big dark house, with two sisty uglers, that's two ugly sisters, who <laughs> sat around making Cinderella flop the more, that's cinder, uh, mop the floor, uh -huh. and they sat around cheating auklets and Maganrita zines which is reading chocolates or eating chocolates and reading magazines. Everything is backwards on this song. Okay. And it's, I, I occasionally get to play it and it's just wonderful. Uh, as a matter of fact, I lip synced it on my kid show uh, on KPR or on, on KUSI uh, 
you know, we did a, a, a parody of it, you know, I'm playing the piano because there's piano in it. And with the kids around, it really, really turned out great. But uh, that's one of my favorites from 1962. 62 was a great year uh, for music in the, in the 60s. That's that's awesome. Well, I, again, I appreciate your time so much. And I loved hearing you talk about a, a, as a kid when you would, uh, you know, you kind of made your own radio station at home. That must be a thing with every radio person ever, because I did the same thing in my father's basement. I had now, you know, um, I, I had cassette decks and a CD player that I stacked together and I recorded. I think I even recorded some commercials off the radio so that I could insert real commercials into my fake show in my father's basement. Um, but it's interesting that darn near every radio person I speak to, um, whether they've made it big or small, everyone starts out doing that. Let me tell you something, Bill. I first started out when I came home from Frank Thompson. I said, gee, I want to be able to, uh, you know, broadcast out of my bedroom here. So I, I had speaker extensions out to the patio speakers outside. And then I said, gee, I want to broadcast to more people than just my mom and dad. <laughs> so I had I had uh, the, 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 the speaker extension go across the street uh, to my friend Tom Brown's house across <laughs> the street and into his uh, radio. Uh, and then I said, well, that's a drag. Uh, I wonder how I could do this on the air. Well, a friend of mine uh, was a, uh, an electronic genius. His name was Wes Owen. And he said, well, listen, I've got a transmitter, a 25-watt transmitter that I built uh, on a cigar box. And uh, I'll let you have it for five bucks. <laughs> I bought that, brought it into my house, and boom, I was on the AM band at oh. 840. Oh, 20, my gosh. 25 watts. And it would go for about 25 miles. You know, I oh remember. My. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember when I was in high school. When I was in high school, we I used to put a tape on because over at KDEO, they used to let me in the production room. I was able to, uh, you know, use the jingles and the tape. Yeah. And so it sounded very professional. And so we would uh, put this uh, tape on my Sony tape recorder and we'd get in my car and we'd drive around, see how far my station got out. Oh, my and gosh. That is hilarious. Lot, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I took it one step further. I actually was on the air, but uh, I got caught by the FCC. <laughs> Probably remember, still on your record. Oh, uh, no, no, no. They, uh, they, 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 uh, I'm, it's not on the record anymore, but I remember I, I violated the Communication Act of 1934, which is punishable <laughs> by five years in jail or $10,000 fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that was big. You know, one of the biggest things, and I'll end with this. I don't yeah. know we, if we touched on this. Uh, you know, the real Don Steele got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, as did Robert W. Morgan. A lot of guys at K-Earth uh, received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And uh, uh, Mike's, M Mike Phillips, who hired me, he said, you know, I think you're going to be able to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And I go, oh, come on, Mike. you got to be kidding me. Um but anyway, Mike passed away, and I got together with my program director, Johnny Kay, and I said, Johnny, do you think I could uh, uh, be nominated for a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? He said, absolutely. So he got on board. He got behind me. That's really neat when you have your program director get behind you. Sure. And it took three years. First year, uh, it's like the Academy Awards. You, you go online, and they announce who's going to have the stars for that year. 
and they didn't name a radio star the, the year that I tuned, the year I was nominated, the first year. Second year that I was nominated uh, for radio, Ellen K over at KISS FM. And I'm going, oh, man. Now, remember, Bill, you have to wait a year in between right. the, as they vote. And there's five things they vote on. They vote movies, television, uh, recording, live theater, and radio. Okay, those are five categories of who gets a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So anyway, uh, and you have a representative from each one of those uh, industries, television, movies, you know. So anyway, um, I didn't think I was going to get one. Uh, so after the second try, uh, I'm going, oh, they're not going to do it. But Dick Clark, before he passed, wrote a letter to the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, and I still have it. I have it framed up here in my studio, saying that he thinks Shotgun Tom should get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow. And I remember uh, that third year, uh, again, I woke up in the morning to see who the uh, uh, people were going to get a star that year, 2013. And they, they went to the movies, the recording, the live theater, the television, and then they got to radio. I remember Marg Helgenberger, the actress, mm -hmm. she was the one making the announcements. All right, in the envelope for radio. Uh... People that are going to get a radio star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, who's the guy that does Family Feud? Um, Steve Harvey? Yeah. Hmm? She goes, and the star goes to Steve Harvey. And she paused. And I'm going, I almost turned off my computer. <laughs> and then she said, Shotgun Tom Kelly. Oh. And that's how that happened. So you got to wait a year before you have the ceremony. And when I had the ceremony, I asked Stevie Wonder if he'd be one of my speakers, mm -hmm. and he was. You could actually see it if you go on Shotgun Tom Hollywood Star, click on the picture of me and Stevie Wonder, and it's a eight-minute video of when I got my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and Stevie sung at my star. Oh, wow. It was one of the most great, great, greatest days of my career. Now, I'll end with this. I wanted my star on Hollywood Boulevard next to the real Don Steele. Mm. And that's where it is. That is awesome. Isn't that cool. Wow. That is corner, that is super cool. Corner of Hollywood Boulevard and uh, uh, La Brea. And are you ready? You're talking about Flash Phelps. Flash, you know, travels all over the country. He does. So man. he visited my star, right? And <laughs> yes, he's taking a picture of my star, right? <laughs> and so he's very proud. He's got his uh, Flash Phelps glasses on. And so he's, uh, I'm, he sends me this picture that he had somebody take a picture of him at Shotgun Tom Star on Hollywood Boulevard. And so I'm going, well, isn't that great? And I'm going, you know how you can, on your iPhone or on your mobile phone, you can like, you know, close up. Yeah. Well, my star looked like it was soiled. <laughs> and I, I said, what the hell is that? And I went bigger on the star and looked like a dog had done his duty <laughs> on my star. How humbling. <laughs> well, I think, aren't you supposed to be down there polishing that thing? Isn't no. that your, in that part no, of the No, I don't do that. Okay. No, no, no. However, they do uh, take care of the stars in the middle of the night. I know they uh, wash them. But. Okay. So anyway, I thought I'd zip up the uh, the story with that, that humbling story about my star. As a matter of fact, when, when you go to YouTube and uh, you see... Uh, uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame Shotgun Tom Star Ceremony. 
Uh, I remember I wrote, first of all, uh, we have a Hollywood scriptwriter friend of mine who also has a podcast, uh, Ken Levine. It's called uh, Hollywood and Levine. Oh, and, clever. Uh, I've been on his podcast. And uh, so anyway, I didn't, you, you got to realize you've got TV, you've got all the reporters, all the cameras. And I wanted to make sure when I was introduced and had to speak that I wouldn't be going. Right. So I said, Ken, would you write some stuff for me? And he wrote some very funny stuff. And uh, so the most of my uh, my stuff was from from Ken Levine. But I did write one thing at the end. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you one thing. I don't ask you for a lot, but I ask you for one thing. When you walk over my star, please curb your dog. My thanks again to Shotgun Tom. What a wonderful guy. And I'm so thrilled that we had the chance to spend some time with him for this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation about music and the importance of radio in American music history. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. All they have to do is search for it on their favorite podcast app, whether that's Apple, Google Play, Amazon Music, or Spotify. And to pick up a copy of the ultimate American Music Bucket List, you can simply visit AmericanMusicBucketList.com. I'm Bill Cleveland. Thanks for listening. And to follow my travels across the country, you can visit my website, BillOnTheRoad.com.